everyone. Welcome to the 12th episode of European Talks, a podcast by the European Policy Center, a Belgrade-based independent think tank. My name is Anna Maric and I will be your host today. EU enlargement policy has returned to the spotlight in Brussels. France is mostly to blame or to thank for this. First, for yet another postponement of the start of uh, North Macedonia and Albania's accession negotiations. And secondly, for its latest initiative to reform EU's enlargement policy towards the Western Balkans. Today's guest is His Excellency Jean-Louis Falconi, the Ambassador of France to Serbia. Mr. Ambassador, welcome to our podcast. One of the hottest topics in town now is uh, the French proposal to reform the accession process of the Western Balkans aspirants for EU membership. Uh, to start, what's new in your initiative and uh, what changes does the new proposal bring to the debate on the effectiveness of EU's enlargement policy? So, thank you very much for welcoming me and uh, I thank uh, the European Policy Centre to give me the opportunity to, to explain a little bit more uh, about the French positions. Um, well, uh, Your question is about, uh, more generally, the recent debate in the European Council. And what I want to state is that the French proposal uh, about the uh, reform improvement of the uh, accession process is one part of a more general architecture. And it corresponds to a view of President Macron Uh, made of the following elements. Uh, the first one, and I really want to state it today, is the fact that there is a promise for the Balkan countries to access to the EU, and this promise is not questioned. In fact, Macron's view is very comprehensive in order to make it possible. So, first, I want to restate that this commitment of uh, EU accession made to the countries of the region, including Serbia, of course, is a firm promise. And there is no proposal of any kind of alternative scheme or whatever. The second thing is that uh, the president's view is that uh, it's part of a broad architecture. He's very committed to EU and he's very committed to an EU that works. It was his commitment when he was elected in, 19, in 2017. And you know that for the French people, there were alternative choices during these elections, and President Macron very firmly restated its European uh, promise, commitment, and he was elected on this basis. So, I mean, there is a lot of things that can be questioned, but certainly not his commitment to EU and to an EU that functions. And uh, his view is that the EU has to be made more effective, which means an ongoing reform of the EU, of different policies, I can come back to it, defense policies, competition policy, trade policy, social policy, and is presently committed to that. So this is an ongoing process. This is the second part of the architecture. And... This part is also very important for the countries of the region, including Serbia, because uh, I very often hear the fact that the reform is for the EU country, but not for here. And precisely, the way to put together countries of the Balkans that fit into the EU 
is to have them both together. So it means that the reform we are conducting nowadays, and French is pushing very firmly in the EU, is also a reform for the EU Bal for the Balkan countries when they get into the EU. So you are not alien to these uh, to, to, to these reforms. I mean, they are important uh, for you also because this is the state of EU, EU, what EU will look like when you get into the EU. So, I mean, this is an important part also. The third part of uh, his uh, policy is, of course, to state that the countries of the region, if they want to go into the EU, have to make very strong and courageous reforms in all fields, of course economic fields, but also more qualitatively, uh, as we know, rule of law, justice, uh, uh, um, the climate for business, uh, reform in the administration, and so on. And then comes a fourth aspect, which is the fact that the EU uh, accession process has to be improved. Um, I think there are uh, the newest thing of uh, the French proposal to this regard is the fact that it brings uh, a new look to the EU accession process. So, and you may have read the paper that was distributed in Brussels uh, and here in the countries, in the accessing countries. Uh, so you may have heard, uh, you may have read this paper. Um, but what's very important uh, in the paper is that uh, it brings um, some new elements to make the process less technocratic. So I'm not saying that all the ideas in the paper mm -hmm. are uh, per se haven't been mentioned before or have even been tried before, but sometimes even with the best will, when you transform a process, I mean, when you transform a, a mechanism into a process, you end to lose the spirit of this. And I think what's best in this paper is that it brings back a, a spirit of mutual commitment towards EU enlargement or accession uh, process. So it's uh, the newest thing is certainly to make the process more tangible. Uh, for the uh, accessing countries, which means that they could see and get more benefits from their efforts before they effectively join the EU. It can mean participation to policies, participation to forums, discussions among the 28 or 27, with the 28 or 27 in Brussels, without voting but being members of the club before effectively uh, having the accession treaty into force. That's one aspect, mm -hmm. uh, which is perhaps the, the, the most important one. The second one is that instead of cutting this and slicing the process into different chapters, and you only have numbers in, in head. I mean, when I arrived here in, 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 in Belgrade, I, I had a little bit forgotten about the EU enlargement process, because you may know I, I dealt with this question when I was head of this department in Paris in 2002, from mm -hmm. 2002 to 2005, where I prepared the accession of the so-called new accession country, exceeding countries in 2004. And I had lost a little bit track of that. But you hear about chapter 23, chapter 23, 24, and so on. And 
you don't even know what it's about. <laughs> so, I mean, one of the elements is to uh, bring back the process into seven steps where you would gradually uh, have some threshold making every accessing country closer step after step to final integration. So I'm sorry to be a bit too long, but I think the new process is, uh, so, so I mean, uh, the president's proposal is one part of an architecture mm -hmm. that I explained and all the parts of the architecture uh, go together. Uh, you mentioned this seven-step uh, approach, which has caused quite mixed reactions in the expert community. Some would say that uh, placing uh, more veto of possibilities to the member states in the current uh, state of play where unanimous decisions need to be brought in each segment of the accession process would make the Balkan um, accession to the EU uh, completely impossible. What would you say to them? I would say to that that on the contrary, I think it makes the, the, the process simpler. Because can't you say that this so-called, if there is such a veto right, exists nowadays uh, 35 times because you have 35 chapters and uh, each time with the opening and with the closing. So instead of 35, you have a block of seven, which is uh, uh, something which is more comprehensive, something which brings blocks together. So uh, it's not slicing the Aki in 235, but it's bringing blocks which mean something in reality, that you've crossed a step. And, uh, well, I would say that uh, it brings fewer decisions in a way, <laughs> rather this... than too, ma too many. Mm -hmm. But then again, this um, uh, slicing, as you said, and uh, bringing unanimous decisions are also linked to the principle of reversibility that you mentioned yes. and more stricter conditionality. So um, would then uh, France, in a long-term perspective, support the introduction of quality majority vote in uh, the enlargement policy issues for during the accession process for the sake of making it more efficient and effective? Because, in again... Together, when we put together all the pieces of the proposal, it seems that there are again many, many opportunities for the member states to block the process as they could do it nowadays. Well, first of all, I would say that there are not more opportunities uh, than uh, there are now. <laughs> so uh, that's one point. The second thing is that when you mention the question of having something different than unanimity, I think there are two aspects to that. There is one aspect, which is that of, and of course I know the process may sound heavy, but there is the fact that when you want to become member of the club, you have to, members of the, you have, to have the members of the club. You have to want to get into it, and you have to have the members of the club agreeing. And I think this is part of what makes the acceptance of the process and the acceptance of the accession uh, something worth. Because if you force things, uh, you may have something where you do not feel the fact that uh, uh, this process, which is a long-term commitment, because accessing to the EU except as we have seen the case uh, recently with the Brexit, is a commitment forever. 
So it's not just something that you decide and to try and so on. So it needs a very national public commitment, but it also needs the commitment of the ones who will welcome you. So, of course, I know that there is this decision, this debate, uh, eternal debate in the EU about qualified majority. I think qualified majority has, br has brought a lot of, of benefits in terms of progressing in the internal market and so on. But you know, when you come to rather existential decision, unfortunately, I think that this is where we stick to. And you know, I have even seen cases in the EU where you have qualified majority legally applying in some aspects, in some policies, but because it's such an existential question, you have the European Council seized, which means that you bring into a political forum with consensus mm -hmm. a decision that could normally have been taken with qualified majority in order to have everyone on board. So forcing the process with the change of the rule of procedure well, I mean, it's a negotiating trick, uh, I have to admit this, but mm -hmm. I don't think this is really uh, what uh, could apply to an accession policy, which is really uh, a, a full marriage. Last point, I think that what we are aiming at is also a process where we don't change the treaties. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, perhaps... Uh, uh, I would need to that more caref to read that more carefully, but I think the 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 the, the process for accession mm -hmm. uh, and the fact that you have unanimity among the member states because it's an intergovernmental conference, so it's not even a decision of the council; mm -hmm. it's an intergovernmental conference. I mean, means that you have to have every member of the intergovernmental conference on board. If you wanted to have something like qualified majority, it may need to modify the treaties. And this is certainly what we don't want, because this would mean another 10 years or more of negotiation, ratification, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. So this is the reason why we have to do with the rules as they are. We have no intention to modify the constitutional texts because it would be very long it would mm -hmm. be uh, and this is not what we need and so and and altogether i think also the spirit of the process of accession what it means requires this consensus mm -hmm. you also mentioned that the consensus needs to be reached among the member states on the future outlook of uh, the reformed eu's accession policy um, could you maybe say uh, what are the red lines of France in that regard? The Commission is now tasked to make a proposal out of the French proposal and of the other member states' inputs. Uh, what will be the French red lines with regards to the reform the enlargement policy? Will, for example, France block um, or uh, not allow the opening of uh, accession negotiations with new candidates until there is a new reform enlargement policy put in the process of review? Revision. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to, 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 to speak in terms of red lines. I'm, I'm going to mention, I mean, what we would like to see and what we think is feasible. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, we had to table this paper because uh, we have expressed ourselves in the European Council uh, in October. Uh, I have to say, you see that I, I, I fully assume the responsibilities of my country, but I have to say 
that the debate in the European Council was not as simple as we may think, So, but I don't want to get into the detail mm-hmm. of having one country against all the other. It was much more complicated than that. It was perhaps, first of all, not only France, not only the question of taking Albania and North Macedonia as a bloc. So, I mean, there were a lot of uh, dividing points in the European Council. But, uh, as we say in French, on prête corriche, and it's only France that was uh, pinpointed after this European Council. So, uh, after such, uh, uh, I mean, the, the expectations that were raised, I mean, we had to table this paper to show that we had ideas that we had ideas that we want to discuss and that we were credible. So this is not worth to delay a process for whatever hidden reason. It's a very sincere uh, attitude and position. So this led to this paper. The reality is that what we need first is to have a new commission on board and it will start on the 1st of December. And then, of course, the process is that we have to discuss with the new commission and I've seen in his uh, audition in the European Parliament that the new commissioner was willing to work on the basis on the basis of several proposals that were made in terms of reform. So we have to work with the commission and the commissioner to see how they can work with our proposals, what they can propose to the member states, then discuss with the member states and have uh, an updated procedure, I would say, on track. And of Mm -hmm. course, our aim would be that this procedure is on track before the European Council in May 2020. So I'm not going to talk about red lines. I think everything Mm -hmm. is discussable. I mean, everything that's in paper can be discussed. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a French paper that is the basis of of an EU decision. We know that from the reading of the treaties. But... uh, um, uh, our paper is a contribution we, mm-hmm. and we think that with the goodwill on, of everyone everything can be done and implemented by May 2020. That sounds very encouraging. Um, Well, history so far has shown that the main propeller for European integration, for the ever closer union, was uh, Franco-German cooperation, let's say, or initiative to reform or to to move forward with the EU. Uh, Would you say that this will also be the case with the EU enlargement policy to the Western Balkans, that there needs to be a Franco-German consensus on how to move things forward? Well, I mean, they need to be, there needs to be unanimity. So there necessarily needs to be Franco-German consensus at some stage. And uh, it's difficult for me to speak on behalf of Germany, but you're right that, uh, and I very often experienced that, there is on the one hand a kind of fear of German-French proposal into the EU because the other members seem to be a bit trapped by this. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, when there is no such proposal, there is a kind of vacuum and everyone expects that this is going to come. So this is a kind of paradoxical attitude towards this uh, German-French agreement. Then I would say that, uh, in general, I mean, I know that Germany is also very committed to a strong EU, and this is the reason why Germany has also been a, a, a country which is very demanding 
regarding the credibility, the content of the accession process. And I know that uh, the, 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 the German government is under very strict scrutiny from the uh, Bundestag. And uh, uh, the reality is that on some occasions, and I'm mentioning also the case of North Macedonia and Albania, uh, Germany has not been in a position to open negotiations with these two countries. It turns out that they have done an internal process and on this basis I think they had the clearance from the European, uh, from the Bundestag to agree to the opening of the negotiations with these two countries. This was not the case of France. So let's say that in this moment in time, on the 19th of October 2019, we were not exactly on the same ground. But in general, I think the French uh, uh, demands towards uh, uh, the credibility of the accession process, the stringence of the effort, uh, is a shared uh, wish with Germany. So um, we are going to discuss this and we are discussing this uh, proposals with uh, Germany. I'm not saying that Germany is agreeing to that. I'm saying mm -hmm. that, of course, we will have to discuss this document and we have to discuss this document first and foremost with Germany, but we need to do that with all the member states and with the Balkan countries themselves. So I hope that we can very quickly because we have a lot of formats of negotiations with Germany. We have mm -hmm. summits uh, very often, the ministers meeting and so on. And so I think, I hope that, let's say, uh, in December, when the Commission enters into force, we can continue the discussion with Germany to see how together we can work uh, on the ideas contained in this paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, you said that your proposal is uh, a work in process and that it's uh, also open to suggestions. We were very happy and enthusiastic to see that many of the ideas coming from the expert community and from the think tanks were somehow uh, integrated in a way into the French proposal. Uh, do you have um, any um, plans to continue consulting the expert community and wider uh, stakeholders in the Western Balkans as well when it comes to the future of EU enlargement policy? Well, you know, I I, uh, I, I, uh, I think we need to have input from everyone. I even heard ideas of having grouped input for the Western Balkans country together <laughs> on the process. And I say, if it could be possible, <laughs> which means being united, <laughs> the six of the countries of the region on some proposals on that paper, I think we would welcome that very, very, uh, really very much. So, uh, but even if we don't reach that, I think we are open to discussion. I have to say that, uh, well, of course, as the official negotiator for Serbia, I had discussion with the Minister of Integration, of European Integration here, Mrs. Joksimovic. I had discussion with President Vucic and I was very interested and I reported their remarks. Uh, because some of them, and I, I think of Mrs. Voksimovic, telling me how the accession process of uh, uh, Serbia and Montenegro was already very demanding, 
was already very special, contained already elements of rewarding at some stage of the process that we have in mind for the reform process, uh, that I think it's worthwhile hearing that to see if and how uh, Serbia or the ones who already opened uh, the negotiation can fit in that process. So, of course, the starting point is to say that a method has been agreed with us and you don't change the method while the process is running. And I think this is a very uh, valid argument. I listen to that. I think our paper is first and foremost directed to the countries who have not yet opened the negotiations of accession. This is very right. But uh, in our view, as we see it more as a, benefit, uh, as, as a, a beneficial process <laughs> for the accessing country, we have in mind that it would even be in the interest of the ones already into accession negotiations like Serbia and Montenegro to benefit of the process. But of course, so we don't exclude that it could be possible, but of course, and I listened to their remark, and it was that also of President Vucic, that you must take into account the efforts that have already been done, which means that you must not just start from zero, like if nothing had happened throughout all the years since the opening of the negotiations. And I think this is a very valid element. And uh, so this is why uh, I think this aspect of does it apply and how it applies to Serbia uh, needs to be discussed in, in the process. And when you tell me about, uh, about uh, how we can have these discussions so it can be in in Western, with Western Balkan countries as a group, it can be individually, it can be with myself, with the authorities, it can be myself with the think tank, uh, it can be also, and we had our Minister of, Foreign, of European Affairs, mm -hmm. Mrs. Amélie de Montchalin, who just two days after the General Affairs Council uh, in uh, uh, Brussels, where there's paper was discussed for the first time, convened the, ambassador of the, the ambassadors of the Western Balkan countries in our office in Paris to discuss that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they put forward some arguments, Mrs. Monchalin listened to that, and this is also uh, another track of discussion. So we are open really to dialogue. Mr. Ambassador, thank you very much for this conversation. Thank you. Mm -hmm.